enough, I wanted to be standing, but my, I, I have gout in my knee right now, and I cannot stand very long. So I was like wanting to stand up and worship. And, but anyway, sorry about it. I felt, felt I was letting you down by sitting down. But my, my knee was hurting, hurting me. Well, welcome out. Thanks for being here with us this evening and, and uh, choosing to worship with us. I'm so grateful that you're here. Grateful for Aaron and Joe to sing like that for us and put the time in that it takes to, to make such beautiful music for us. So we really appreciate you and all that stuff. We're going to be in John chapter 17. We're actually going to be completing John 17 today. This is like a the longest chapter. I've, I've preached probably seven, eight sermons in one, just one chapter. It's crazy, but it's just a beautiful, I love this chapter because it's, it's Christ's high priestly prayer. It's his prayer to the Father for his bride, the church. And all of us in this room and in the sound of my voice that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, have believed and received him as, as Lord and Savior, have been added into his body, which is the church. We are the bride of Christ. We have and enjoy the benefits of being adopted into God's family. All these things that happen through the salvation that is found in Jesus alone. And in this particular prayer, we see just Christ's heart for his people and for first for his disciples, his 11 disciples. And also, as we began last week to see in verse beginning in verse 20, he begins to pray for not only the, uh, the 11, but also for all those who believe in me through their word in verse 20 there. So that includes us. We can see Christ's heart for his bride. We can see, as we look into his prayer, he's praying to the Father for us, first for his disciples, but we can see many things that, even though he's praying specifically for his disciples, that we can apply to our lives, that we know that just as Jesus wanted for his apostles, he desires it for us today. And we begin to talk about that. Southern Baptist Convention, but all those throughout all ages that all church who hear the gospel message and turn, repent and turn and believe and receive Jesus as Savior, this is for us. We have teachers that have left. Paul Baptist Church is one of the largest church has left the building. Because we're the church. And we get to enjoy all these blessings that come with that. And as we saw that last week, and this week we're going to close it out by reading verses, uh, studying verses 24 through 26 of John 17. So he's praying in the, the title of his message this, uh, this afternoon is that they may abide in your love. Last week we, we saw that Christ desires us to be unified. And we went into depth about what that means. There's some types of unity that, that the world says should be, is unification. And it's truly not what Christ has designed. And then this week we see that Christ desires us to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before
for the world's foundation. And so we see that even the three tri, uh, the three persons of our triune God uh, have existed in perfect harmony and in perfect love. Jesus points to this before Christ came into his earth, stepped into his creation as the perfect God-man. He had always has always encountered the Father's perfect love. We see that there, which you have given me because you have loved me before the world's foundation, even both before creation began. In verse 25, Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have known you that sent me. And then in verse 26, I made your name known to them through his disciples, and his disciples began to share the word of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the gospel message to, to those um, throughout the known world, begin to build the church. The apostles are the foundation of the church. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, and they begin to build the church. He says, I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known. And he says, why? So that the love you have loved me with extends it to us. We are, we are without righteousness that can ever merit our salvation. And the work that he has done, he alone has done for us is a love demonstrated. But he closes up his prayer saying, by saying, I want those who believe I want them to know your love. The love that you have loved me. Love for the Christian is the glue that holds all things together. Without love, without the love that's defined in the Bible, it's all for naught. It is the glue that holds all things together, and hopefully we'll see that. But as we've gone over these last eight weeks or so, we've seen that ultimately Christ, Christ is praying that the desires of his heart for his church, for his bride and his disciples, we see the marks that we should have these 2,000 years later, if this is truly what Jesus is praying to the Father, we should know that we should reflect these same things, these marks that are found in this prayer. Eternal life, right? The church, the mark of a church are those who gather together because they have experienced and have, have had encountered the Lord Jesus and have been giving eternal life. We saw that in verse 3. Eternal life is to know the one true God through Jesus Christ. And so the mark of a Christian church is that those who meet celebrate and worship our God because of the eternal life he has given us through Jesus. And we're given that eternal life by being given the gospel, as we see in verse 8. We're given the word. We go out. I have a couple in the back there who 16 years ago would come over and talk with me and my neighbor, love on me and pray for me and show not just with their words, but with their actions, what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. 
And they demonstrated their love, not just with their words, but with how they treated me. And their desire to see me to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. They give me the words of life. And those who receive eternal life are given the word, and then they, we receive it. Right? We have the choice to either receive that word or reject that word. But those who receive the words, the good news that Jesus has paid it all, receive it and then believe and trust in him alone and turn from all other ways for an eternal life. Those who are given and then received and believe the words of Christ are saved and given this eternal life. That's the mark of a church. Those who gather together can testify that they have received and believed the words of Christ. And then the other marks of a church here, verse, that we would have the joy of the Lord in spite of our earthly circumstances. And we are in the midst of chaos in this world. And the promise that we've seen again and again, especially in John, in John 13 through 17, is that Jesus desires that we would have joy in spite of the earthly circumstances that we're going through that we're encountering and what we're going through. And we can only do that because our joy, our happiness, our, our source of life and peace is not found in this world, but it's found in the promises given to us in the gospel message. No matter what happens to me in this earth, because I've received and believed and trusted in Christ, I have the eternal life that's awaiting me. All of you, I pray, can have that same testimony you've encountered Christ, you've received and believed in me, know that his promise is that those who believe and trust in him have a eternity awaiting for them, that there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sin to deal with. Amen? No more death. And that makes should make us joyful in spite of earthly circumstances. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We see another mark Christ desires us to, to be holy, to be set aside, to be in the world, but not of the world, found in verse 17. Father, sanctify them. Set them aside for the use of God's kingdom, is his prayer. And that's to be holy, to be made holy, to be used for God's purposes and not the world's. And he tells us how we can be sanctified. Father, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. The marks of a true church should be a church that desires to be holy and knows that we can stand on his truth, his absolute truth, which is found in his word. Thy word is truth, Christ said. Another mark is in verse 18. We have this beautiful, awesome message that there's an eternity, eternal life that is waiting for us. So all who believe and receive Jesus, and that should excite us. And we have the good news, but... Why on earth, if we have this good news, are we not saying anything to anybody around us, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our fellow students? We have the news of eternal life. And that joy that we have in Christ should inspire us individually and collectively as a church to go on mission, to fulfill the Great Commission, to go into all the world, to share the gospel and make disciples. And then another mark of a church we find in verses 20 and 23 that we're unified. There's a stark contrast 
between what Christ desires, his church, his bride to be, a unified body versus what we see in the world today. Anybody that has social media <laughs> knows this world is not unified. And we have a great opportunity as Christ's body through the power of the Spirit be led by the power of the Spirit to be to uh, seek and set our eyes on the things of God and the kingdom of God. To allow the Spirit to change us, to, to mold us into Christ's image. All these promises that we've gone through in John 14 through 17. The Spirit who desires to conform us into the image of Christ. All these things can happen because we have God's Word, which is God, the Spirit's tool to change us. We can be unified in spite of our differences. We talked about it last week. I don't want to re-preach last week's sermon, but it doesn't mean we can't have an opinion about things. But it means how are we going to treat a person that disagrees with us? How are we going to set aside maybe our own opinions for the sake of that person that doesn't quite believe the same way and still have that conversation? Indeed, talk about it. Share your differences. Share your reasons. All those things are true, but ultimately we cannot let it be a reason to disunify us. And as we shared in Romans 14, that is the way in which the world will see us as messengers for Christ, as they look to the church and they see the unified body in a disunified world. It's Christ's desire for us that we'd be unified. And then this evening we're going to talk about what Christ ends his prayer with, that, that we may have the love of God in our hearts. And that it's the love of God that holds everything together. And how important it truly is. Jesus gave this command back in John 13. If you guys remember, it's probably been a while now since I've been in John 13. And probably haven't even wasn't even in John 13 when we started this Saturday night service, right? But John 13 is when Jesus takes all of his apostles or disciples into the upper room. Here's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe in, in flesh. He, he, he certainly deserves all praise and honor and adoration. He deserves everyone to bow the knee, right, and give him eternal worship. But instead, he grabs a bowl and he grabs a towel and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And he washes them. Put an object for his saying, look, I need, Peter says, no, you, you're not going to wash my feet, Lord. Well, if I don't wash you, you can't have eternal life. You can't be with me for eternity. I'm paraphrasing here, right? And he says, okay, well, wash the entire body. Wash, wash me hold him, right? And Jesus was giving us an object lesson of what his salvation would be. Him going to the cross, him performing that final sacrifice. God's wrath being poured out upon Jesus. He's taking the punishment for our sin so that we might have his righteousness, this gift of salvation that's found in Jesus is the means in which we are cleansed. By the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross. And then believing and receiving that cleansing that comes from him and him alone, his sacrifice alone, we are washed. We are made clean. I still can't get over it. The gift that he's given us. And Jesus gives them an object lesson of the king of kings, the king of the universe coming and serving, which is ultimately the biblical definition of love. The world has all these different definitions of what love is, right? The 
most it's just, oh, I love you, but tomorrow I might not. I feel really emotional about you right now. It must be love. It's not biblical love. Biblical love is self-sacrificial service. And Jesus says, I've given you this as an example of what you should do to one another. It's washing of the feet. John 13, 34 says this, I give you a new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Verse 35, by this, if we desire for our neighbors and the world and the co-workers and the city to see the love of Christ, Jesus says you love one another, and by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples is so drastically different than the world to serve and not want anything in return. Sacrificially serve. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Paul writes in Corinthians chapter 13 about how love is the epitome. You can have all the spiritual gifts. You can have all the gifts that are given to the bride of Christ. But if you don't have love, they're just tinkling symbols. They're just they're just noise without the love, without the love of God that bonds everything together. He closes in his argumentation about the need for love to hold all things together here in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now these th three things remain, faith, hope, and love. We have faith in the, no in the knowledge and the gospel message that Jesus died for us. We place our faith in the salvation message of Jesus dying and paying the penalty alone. And then that we have hope for the future that one day, whether through death or through the return of Christ, all the sorrow will be swept up. All the evil will be judged. And we have a hope because of our faith in what Jesus has done. And then he says, and love. On all these things, these things that he's summing up, the, the Christian epic, the Christian life, the greatest of these is love. And it's through the God's love and the love of God that all these things hold together. And so we see these marks of the church without love. Maybe that's a good way to look at it. The marks of the church that we just went through. We first talked about the mark of the church of eternal life. And what is it? It's a demonstration of God's love to humanity. For God so loved the world. He demonstrated his love. He didn't just tell us he loved us. He sent his only son to die for us, to pay the penalty for us. He ultimately walked the walk, not just talked the talk. And without God's love, we don't have eternal life. The word, remember we talked about the word being the means in which the gospel spread, the words of Christ. And we can have the words of Christ, but without love, it's just bitter orthodoxy. It may be true, but unless that person you're speaking with is demonstrating and showing them the gospel message, unless they see the love and the concern that you have, it just turns into truth, but cold truth. It is the love of God that binds up. And the 
encourage us to go out and pursue eternal life or give eternal life to those around us. The pursuit of joy, right? We, it's another mark of the church. We have joy in spite of our circumstances, but the joy, pursuit of the joy in this life without the love of God is hedonism. It's just self-indulgence. There's, it's just about satisfying self. There's many in this room that can testify before they encountered Christ that they tried everything this world had to offer to find happiness and joy. But without Christ, it just leads to self-ruin. How important it is to have the love of God as shown in his salvific work as the means in which we can pursue joy because of what he's done for us. And we can have joy because he's made a way. The mark of holiness without the love of God. Right? To be holy, set them aside, set them aside out of the world, be in the world, but not of the world. Without the love of God, that just turns into Phariseeism or legalism. Where we check the boxes like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They had their long phylacteries, they they had the law, the Torah memorized. And they checked their checks, and they even obeyed the rules around the rules that God had given, just so they didn't even come close to violating those rules. But yet, as in the case of the parable of the Good Samaritan found in Luke, a priest and a rabbi passed by this person who was beaten and left in the ditch to die. And they went home with a clean conscience because they had followed all the, followed all the rules. But it wasn't until the dirty Samaritan saw that man in the ditch he took compassion upon him and Jesus points out who's in the right here and that's what legalism does I have this list I check the check I check the boxes I'm good with God because I'm keeping my list but without the love of God it's just self-righteous legalism as the love of God is demonstrated in Jesus and the promises of him regenerating us and his desire to sanctify us through the spirit and, and the application of the law within our new hearts that he's given us that we know that the spirit of God can make us holy and make us more like Jesus day by day, step by step. Sometimes two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes two steps forward, ten steps back. But the promise is he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He will, he will finish what he starts. So that puts it on him and the motivation for us to live a holy life is because of his love for us. Not as a means to perform. Number five, our concern for the world in the light of God's love motivates us for mission, right? In the light of God's love demonstrated to us, he's given me eternal life and I come promise you I don't deserve it. But that's his promise. And that should motivate me to share the good news that people can be freed from the bondage of sin and all the evil that's in this world through the gospel message. It is God's love that motivates us for mission. It is God's love that just allows us to strive for unity in the church when I'm willing to set aside my own opinions for the sake of the body so that we might re remain unified, that I might have an opportunity to share my 
my opinions and the things that are going on in this world, but ultimately, I'm not going to let it be a means in which I cause disunity within the body, as long as it's not an essential, right? We talked about that last week. But it's ultimately God's love. God loved me and gave me salvation in Jesus. All those who are in Christ, God loves just as much. <laughs> right? God loved my sister and my brother and my church so much that he died for that person. And so because of that, I strive for unity. I came across a message not too long ago that really rocked my world. About in Ephesians, it talks about the, the husband being the leader, spiritual leader of the home, and how we're supposed to be the spiritual protector of, of the home, and you know, the spiritual leader, and that's all true, and all those things. But the guy said, You know, sometimes the number one person that the uh, husband has to protect the wife from is himself. God loves my wife more than I love my wife. And so we strive for unity in our marriage because of that. Anyway, moving on. And then ultimately we see God is the source of true love. So this love that, that we he desires for us, it's the love of God. He is the source of it. We can't whip it up. We can't manufacture it in our own strength, in our own ways of doing things, our own uh, lists or legalisms or anything like that. Um, we can't whip it up. It is God who is the source of this true love. Meaning we can't we can't have to receive it from God. We have to walk with God in order to truly demonstrate this love that he Christ is praying for. And that's why he's praying to the Father. That they would experience that love. The love that you've given me and shown me. I desire my church to have that experience that same true love and he is the source first john 4 7 and 8 we were singing this song earlier today there's a old primary or a sunday school song about this dear friends let us love one another because love is from god he is the source love is from god and everyone who loves has been born of god and knows god the one who does not love does not know God because God is love God's love is the glue that holds all those things together without God's love as the motivation, motivating source for us to pursue these things it's all for naught and so it comes down to how do we reflect this how do we show God's love how do we reflect God's love in our, in our relationships, in our church and those around us and so I just was trying to make this applicable in this last, these last couple minutes here. We see that our need to love and reflect God's love. How does that happen? And Scripture speaks to those things. And the first thing that we need to do is we need to listen to one another. James 1.19, my brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Right? Quick to hear, slow to speak. We need to listen to one another. To love someone is to listen to them and not just attack them with your words or overrun them with your words. You must listen to them. 
goes on to say, be slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And so we, if we're going to reflect God's love to one another, we need to be able to listen as we communicate with one another. How do we reflect God's love? Number two is we need to share. Romans 12, 13 through 16 says, share with the saints and their needs uh, of pure and hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So this church experience is not just a thing where we show up and just say, okay, we went to church. It's a means in which the saints meet together and we start to do life together. We walk together. We bear one another's burdens with one another. We share with one another. And that's hard to do, right? To open up to people. Because if you let them in, they have the ability and the opportunity, they have the opportunity to tear you down some of the time. And all of us, I'm sure, can say, yeah, I've been burned in the past. And so sometimes that's hard to do. But as we pursue to reflect God's love to those around us, it's so important to share with one another, to do life together, to let people in. Number three, we need to serve one another. Ultimately, that's what Christ said in John 13. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on the outer clothing, clothing there in verse John 13, 12 through 15, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. You are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I am your Lord and teacher and have washed your feet, you have ought, you have ought to wash. You also should wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should just do as just as I've done you. We have to serve. That is ultimately the example that Christ has shown us of this definition of biblical love. To sacrificially serve one another. To share with one another. To listen to one another. And ultimately serve one another as Christ not only washed the feet of the disciples, but went to the cross paid our penalty demonstrated his love for us by his sacrificial sacrifice on the cross it's my prayer that uh, as we reflect on these things that we can be a little bit closer to what God desires us to be both individually and collectively as a church that we would have these marks that in spite of the size of our church that as Christ looks down, he would see the people who are trying to follow what he's laid out for us. They would see a people who are clinging to his prayer to the Father in John 17, of people who understand their need for not only salvation and understanding him, but the need for their God to empower them to live this supernatural life that is laid out for them. That we might reflect God's love to one another here in the church, to our families, to our community of Idaho Falls. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful for this opportunity, Lord, to uh, sing praises to your name, God. You're so worthy of our, our praise, our adoration. We're so grateful, Lord, that you've made yourself known, that you've preserved your, your word through the writings of your prophets and apostles, Lord, that, that we can know who you are and ultimately, Lord, we can know we can how we can have a relationship with you through the gospel. We're so grateful. Father, we ask this evening that you would help us cling and walk.
walk closer to you this week. Father, I pray personally that these things that I've preached might be more evident in my life. Do a work in us, Lord. We see a world that desperately needs you. Help us just to abandon hope in all other things other than you and to live for you. And Lord, we ask as we do that that you would use us to bring many people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his precious and most powerful name. Amen. All right. Thanks for being here, everybody. Thanks for uh, choosing to worship with us. And I, uh, if you have any questions or um, anything, I'd be more than happy to answer any questions as you leave. But God bless. I'm going to stop talking now. Go ahead.